Greetings from the notes from the pen. Well, let's start this one over. I, I wanted to uh <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I wanna incorporate I want to incorporate some new shit, and then uh, I was so worried yeah. about forgetting the new shit that I. <laughs> you know, you know what I thought was going to get you was that I didn't count down with you this time. <laughs> I thought that was maybe uh, kind of. It was almost like felt like you were waiting for me to like chime in with you, and I was like, I wonder if that's going to trip him up. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. All subject matter in the preceding podcast is entirely alleged and not admissible in a court of law. A recklessly minimal effort has been taken to change the names and details of any guilty parties. And just in case you rat bastards get any ideas, the hosts of this podcast are notorious and well-documented liars with no legally admissible credibility. This is Mama C, and you're listening to Notes from the Pin Podcast. Welcome to prison, bitch. Greetings from the prison industrial complex. You are listening to A Portrait of American Incarceration, told through our favorite convict, El Chino. I am the captain of the ship, Captain Freddy Schnertz, and you are listening to the Notes from the Pin Podcast. Now, ooh... A new one I like. Well, you uh, inspired me a little bit. So I have our favorite convict along with us in the boat wake. And uh, Chino, how you doing? All jacked up on coffee, ready to fucking uh, lay some things down. The one we did yesterday was scratched that creative itch and felt good. Felt, it was a tough one, felt like a good one, though. And uh, up bright and early, we're back at it. And uh, no place I'd rather be. Except for maybe outside of prison. <laughs> Anywhere outside of prison, I might rather be. But for uh, what's possible now, I'm good. Hello to all the speakers. Yeah, so we've been, doing, uh, we've been doing our thing. We've had some silly episodes. Uh, our last episode was uh, kind of more pointed in the real direction. Um, what we haven't had lately is um, how screwy the prison system is. Uh, we haven't had one of those in a while. And... Um, you know, I don't think that's a drum we can beat too much. The American prison system is screwed up, and um, you have a real-world example that uh, that pertains to somebody that our viewers are familiar with and has been on the program, and I think we're going to touch on that a little bit. And we also have uh, the viewer questions that we didn't get to on the last one, and I think everybody can understand why I didn't want to just launch into viewer questions after um, – after Bobby is uh, sending a bat signal to his son. So, uh, Bobby, do uh, you know anything about the nine-fingered Mexican named Toro that, we, uh, that we're all familiar with? Yeah, I almost thought you were going to say that we all know and like, and then uh, you thought better and <laughs> didn't want to lie to the people <laughs> and say that you all know and tolerate occasionally. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, there's some been some developments. Now, because I'm in level one, the viewers will know that most of the people here have more time than me, and they're going home. And Toro is one of them. So I've been, you know, doing my own thing, living LOP life, and then there's been, I don't know if we ever covered, like, the little wedge that kind of happened between us, but then there's been, like, a little a little distance. And, and, uh, and so uh, I'm sorry, I'm getting, like, distracted. Like, people are touching me and telling me things and, all right, well, I'll take over for a oh. second. I think during the LOP Chronicles, I think, I, I could be wrong about this, but I think at some point I did publish 
that you and Toro had a little bit of a, a riff and it wasn't, it was mainly, he was flapping his gums about some shit. He didn't need to be flapping his gums about. And it, it kind of surprised you. And, um, you kind of wanted to distance yourself a little bit because you were like, uh, you know, why am I, you know, I don't want you talking about my case. What's you know, shut up. Yeah. Not that I'm like ashamed of it or anything, but that's mine. And like, when I, when I use that story, I use it sparingly because it's so personal to me. The viewers all know this. And, um, when I give it, when I tell somebody, especially him, he was the first person I told here, and I think he was the only person for a while, for a long time, maybe up until that point. And it's, it's because I, if there's ever, I'll tell it a million times if there's an opportunity to help someone with it. But because of his case, I was like, oh, let me tell him about what I've learned about mental depression and suicide, and here's why I have credibility. This is what happened to me. And in it, I always tell people, like, listen, this is between us, and I give him the same speech, not because I'm embarrassed, but this is personal to me. And I choose when to, you know, so it's not like I didn't say that to him. Anyways, he ended up running his mouth to someone that I have no problem telling anyways, but that's not for him to decide. And he didn't tell like a short little thing. He told the whole fucking story, which makes it not a slip of the tongue. It makes it, I don't know what it makes it. And because I didn't know that, I can't, I can't justify what you did. Anyway, so there's been a wedge and I've just, and it's not even something I wanted. It's something that I both wanted. And then after I didn't, necessary i felt bad for him it's just it's just there with me like i just don't know what to do with you like i can switch that shit can get turned off with people and, and with me and i can just be like no i don't i just couldn't rationalize it so anyway so there's been a wedge between us but i've also been going through my own thing doing my own thing so and some of the viewers might remember too a little bit before i told him like go spread your wings you're like under my wing too much go do your own thing like you know what i mean so that just was an extension of that he got super depressed and not just because of that, and he might have been doing some things he shouldn't have been doing that don't help your mood after your the effects of whatever that thing is wears off. And we had been like, you know, he had been doing a little bit better, and you know, I'd call him over and like spend with him a little bit, but I, I didn't realize he was going to see the board anytime soon. So about three days ago, I'm coming back from some. I think I was on the phone. I just got off the phone with you, probably. And he's walking by, and he's just pale, just, like, sickly looking. And I'm like, what's up, man? You all right? And he's holding the stomach, and he goes, I think I'm going to throw up. And I'm like, what? what's up, man? He's like, i just seen the board. And instantly, I'm like, holy shit, that was today? Like, why didn't you tell me? We could have spun laps before, and, like, we could have prepped you for this and all this stuff. And, and I'm like, well, how'd it go? <laughs> the fact that you're holding your stomach and looking, you know, three shades of green probably isn't good. And he's like terrible <laughs> he's like terrible which is completely on brand for uh, the nine finger mexican as our viewers will know and uh now what i don't i i had talked to him before about this right and and he had told me about his case you know he's had a police standoff he shot up this apartment basically like a mass shooter who didn't hit anyone almost he got drunk at his sister's wedding and was like somehow this is this is aside from how dark it is. Think about how on brand and sad sap and funny and douche chilly this is. That on his sister's wedding day, he gets so shit faced that he makes it about him and he's like holds himself up in a house, calls a bunch of people, threatens to kill himself while he's crying and saying, "I lost my sister." Right? <laughs> and like when even when he says it, he has to laugh because he's like like. That we've all like done ridiculous things when we're drunk, and uh, <laughs> that one's just so on brand for me. 
it's kind of funny because his sister was because his sister was getting married he that's that was the catalyst to bum him out like i'll never see her again she's she's with another man that's yeah that's okay that's uh that's a little bit out there but hey we all have done embarrassing things when we're drunk myself uh it might be the epitome he knows it's weird and I guess the um, the one parole lady who saw him was like, "What did you mean by that?" He's like, "I don't know." <laughs> like, he's like, I, don't, "I don't fucking know." She's like, "What do you mean lose your sister?" He's like, "I don't know." So we had talked before, right? And he tells me all his case, and he's talking about the parole board. And I've seen a lot of people go see the board, and you know, it doesn't take a, a, a genius to realize what the parole board wants to see. They want to see real, genuine <clears throat> remorse and all those other things. But really, they also are. They're not selfless people. They're worried about their own ass, too. And so people that they might consider high risk, they're going to be less likely to let go because they don't want to put their name on it. So a guy who was holed up and, and shot a place up and said he wanted to kill cops and had to stand up for, with the po- police and, and all this other stuff, who only got three and a half to four years for that, it was all over the news and everything, I was like, you, even if you're really we're really on your P's and Q's here. That's a risky one for them to let you, you know what I mean? To let you go on. And he's like, what? Like it didn't ever even dawn on him. Well, do, what's your institutional history? Well, you, uh, I think you've shared with us before, but it might be time to remind everybody that when you and him first, uh, first got up together at the dollhouse and you guys were getting acquainted and stuff, he was all excited because he was, he was sure that he was going to, he wasn't going to flop. He was going to see the parole board, then go home, and everything was going to be great. And you had to break it to him like, hey, man, you got like three major tickets, and I've never even caught one at the time. Like, you're getting a little bit too uh, confident. You need to, uh, you need to really, would you say, uh, thread the needle on this when you go talk to him. Yeah, embrace yourself for the idea. Like, the fact that it didn't even dawn on him that it was a possibility. And he couldn't sleep. He's like, man, you got me all, for the next week, he's like, you got me all worried. And I'm like, you should be, like, just be, you don't have to be paranoid. But, yeah, so that's what I wanted to set up was that a, a year ago, a little under a year ago, we had this talk, and I was worried for him just judging by how indignant he was that I even suggested he might not get his first parole. Like, he, he hadn't even let the thought enter his mind. He's like, what? And I'm like, think about it. If you're a parole board member and this, and, and you're seeing a guy who only did four years for this thing that clearly could have ended in multiple murders, right, and you've caught a substance abuse, a theft ticket, and a, a fight, fighting ticket, all in a span of time that I've, I went longer longer spans of time completely ticket-free from. You know what I mean? Like, not even a class three. You haven't even... And so, it was like, uh, it was like I punched him in the gut then, too. And, like, for a couple days, he's like, man, he got me all paranoid, and I I, fuck, man. Like, it fucked him up. And I was like, well, you need to be prepared. You need to take this shit seriously. And you're you're right. I think I did say something. You need to... I said, even if you have, like, a great one, they might just look... You might be one of the ones that they decide on, like just looking at the paperwork before, you know, they got to see 20 people and they're like, all right, this is it's just in my mind. I don't know. It's so pizza corn lettuce. There's really no telling. <clears throat> so I could be wrong for applying logic. I feel like they have a, a certain quota where they're like, okay, we need to get, we need to lower the prison population, which means, you know, for every 10 inmates we see, we can flop two, maybe three, 
Obviously, if you have to flop four in one group, you'll flop some less than the other next in order. Um, but we know these two are going to, this one's going to be flopped for sure. These three are definitely going home, and the other ones are in the middle. We'll see how they're. Can we do a quick reminder on the word flop? means uh, you're not getting paroled. It means you're going back to your cell and. And you're going to do another year, at least another year in, in prison. They've decided you're not ready to get out. And, and a lot of prison systems like California, they give out a lot of flops because they don't have mandatory. Um, they don't have uh, mandatory minimums. They have good time and stuff like that. And with us, because the way our shit shifted, like basically our, um, our mandatory minimums were what our tails would have been, the end of our sentence, the maximum of our sentence, what I would have been before mandatory minimum. So when we, you reach your mandatory minimum, it's basically like, okay, he, he's uh, done his thing. As long as he's not like really a risk and he's like tried to recoup whatever he could go home. <clears throat> but so I'd say a majority of people get their paroles here. Probably, I wouldn't know the number, so I don't want to guess. Anyways, I, you know, I was like, look, that's going to play a big deal. Now, fast forward almost a year later, and I'm going to get off the phone, and he's three shades of green grip in his stomach. And I'm like, oh, my God, why didn't you tell me a couple of days ago we could have spun? Come on, let's go sit down. Let's talk about it. He's just got the thousand-yard stare. He goes over there, and uh, I, I'll explain why it went sideways, and then we'll talk about the flaws inherently in the system anyways. So he goes over there. You're going to see the parole board. You're going to see the parole board. They call him over like 8 in the morning. He goes over there with like, I don't know how many, like 22 other people. And they go, he's thinking they go by numbers, right? He's got a dead man's numbers. He's got an early number, a low number um, for his prison ID number. So he's like, good, I'm ready. I drank coffee. I'll go in there. And he said he was feeling good. Now, they ended up going. Which the counselor told a bunch of people told him it was going to be my number. The counselor, when he gets over there, he realizes, oh, it's alphabetical order. His last name, of course, starts with a Z. Okay, and uh, he ends up sitting there for five hours in a chair, watching every single person, even the other guy with a Z name who was before his, go in, come out, go in, come out, go in, uh, for you know, come out, and he's just sitting there. And he's just, this guy, the viewers know, like, he's not the most eloquent, eloquently spoken guy. He's in his head a lot and shit. He second guesses himself and, and all this other thing and all this other stuff. And, uh, you know, he's, he's watching and he, he's, he, they end up calling him to go in. Now, this is the, the, one of the ridiculous, most ridiculous parts you have. On a video screen in front of you, one person, and there's allegedly two people off camera. I don't know if they are off camera or if she just takes their notes to them later. It's like a three-person panel. She's in front of you. Sometimes it's a he, but this time it was a she's in front of him. And she has 15 minutes after briefly reading your case. And a lot of times they'll read it right in front of you because they clearly haven't read it before. In determining if you're safe to be returned to society in a 15-minute video conference. And this isn't because of corona. This is how it is pre-corona. It's just you're talking to a talking head on a video screen who couldn't be less interested in what the fuck you're saying <laughs> from, from a lot of my understandings of how it goes. So he goes in there, and the one thing you can do good in there with that everyone knows, Marshall knows this, Chop knows this, take, take, take responsibility of your actions. Do not deflect. Do not minimize. That's bare minimum. Hopefully you have some insightful knowledge and wisdom gained and, and, and you've... Uh, 
you've addressed and fixed some of the problems and you have opinions on it and all that stuff. Right? As you could imagine, the uh, I would do or you would do if we went in there. Not the nine-fingered Mexican. He goes in there. Why would he? After feeling good. After feeling good for about five hours previously, he felt good. He goes in there and freezes. And I don't know how the whole thing went, but I get, I quizzed him on it a lot of it. And I'm like, well, what'd she ask? And, and mind you, he's answering questions, not even making eye contact with me. He's like staring off in the distance. You know what I mean? He's like, I don't know, man. Like, it's a good thing if they ask you, like, where are you going when you get out there? Um, who, who do you have a job? Do you have all, cause then it, it insinuates that they're thinking of you going home. She doesn't ask him any of that. <laughs> she asked him why, amongst other things, why did you want to kill a cop? Why did you say you want to kill a cop? To which he goes, I don't know. I was drunk. Right. Mm-hmm. And she'd also said, I don't know what order said. Why did, why did you shoot up the place and have a standoff and want to kill yourself and say you were losing your sister. And these are all, I'm making these much less awkward than they actually were in the moment. And he's going, he answers the first one, I believe, which was, why do you, why did you want to kill yourself and end up shooting the place up? Now he's had three years, three and a half years to think about this. He goes, I was in a dark place. I just broke up with a girl, which isn't true. I just broke up with a girl and uh, I was drunk and uh, I don't really know. And she's like, uh, okay. And then goes to the next one. Why did you want to kill a cop? I don't know. And he's, and he's indignant, kind of. I don't know how much it showed, but he's like, I already told you. I was drunk. Right? So eventually the question gets to the next logical. Imagine being the poor. Now, I'm not in, I don't want to be in defense yeah. of, the, uh, of the institution in any type of way. But if I'm the, uh, the parole board, I'm thinking to myself, okay, so I'm going to let this guy out. And the first time he touches alcohol and has a, a bad date night, it, this is going to all be on me. <laughs> he can't be around women and he can't be around liquor. Well, guess what's on the outside? Yeah. And uh, I, I said this to him because I'm kind of doing what you're doing. I'm picturing her going, looking around going, um, okay, come on, kid, give me something. You know what I mean? Give me something to work with. And he's like, yeah, she will. Now, Toro's super self-aware, which is like this weird mixture He's super self-aware and completely unable to use it in the moment that counts. <laughs> you know what I mean? So afterwards, he's like, I'm a fucking idiot. That's what he was – before he started this story, I should have said that. He goes, I'm a fucking idiot. And I'm like, well, yeah, well, why specifically this time? And then he goes off into the thing, and I'm asking him questions. So she obviously gets to the question you're talking about, right? You, she says, do you think you have a drinking problem? The unequivocal answer is? Of course not. Well, what is the right answer? Oh, the right answer would be yes, but why would he do that? He's he's not – or did he say yes? So, no, he didn't say yes. Right. And if you think so, you haven't been paying attention. Not only did he not say yes, he's almost masterful in the sentence he utters because in the sentence he both denies having a drinking problem – and in this, not a period in a new sentence, not another paragraph, not later in the thing, in the same sentence, denies having a drinking problem and wraps the sentence up with an admission that he actually has a drinking problem. Here it goes. Ask me if I have a drinking problem, and I'll be Toro. Toro, do you think you have a drinking problem? No. No. But when I do drink, I drink a lot. <laughs> that was All right. Answer. Oh, <laughs> no, no, I don't have a drinking problem, but stay tuned. I'm going to tell you 
about my drinking problem, right? In his mind, and, I, and I'm, by the way, when he, you know me, when he's telling me this, I'm talking to you like I'm, ta- I'm talking to him like I'm talking to you. I'm going, oh my God, you fucking idiot. And he's laughing in like a dark way, like I, I don't, oh, and he's like gripping defensive. Oh, he doubles over again. And uh, I said, you know the only, and he goes, I thought she meant like I drink every day. And I'm like, I'm like, you clearly have a drinking problem, especially according to her and your fucking PSI. You're in here for drinking. You know what I mean? Like, you're in here for drinking and then doing some stupid stuff, and you already got to the thing that I was going to stra- extrapolate. She's trying to find out, and I'm telling him this, that what are the chances that this guy is going to do this again? And you're, the parameters you set are so easy. Just lick her. Just lick her in a bad mood, man. Right? And he's just, like, shaking his head. He's like, oh, I know. I think I'm going to throw up. And he knows, and so it's redeeming because, in, it, personally, it's redeeming, like, be, like, to watch him because he knows he fucked up. He's like, I'm a fucking idiot. I just, and he had been, and when he said this, I remembered that the last couple of days, the last couple of weeks, he had been going to get these like parole board readiness workbooks and shit, which are nothing. They're made by the MD. You know what I mean? And he was trying to prepare for them, but it doesn't matter because in the moment, he just completely shits the bed, right? So he's, he's got back. 15 minutes to tell a story uh, about the last three and a half years. And about whether or not he's. Oh. Yeah, go ahead. Yes, and he's had all this time to think about it, and and I could give you, not even having gone through a circumstance, give you fifteen minutes to think about it, and five minutes to talk about it directly afterwards, and you would have done better than him with fifteen minutes to talk about it in three and a half years to think about it. <laughs> yeah, but not everybody is better at you know Toro's not good at expressing himself, and not everybody is good at expressing himself. That's why I think the whole thing's kind of stupid 15 minutes talking to on a screen it's not like people in there are used to being on zoom calls like like out here you know we're now that there's corona everybody's on skype or facetime or zoom you're absolutely right but you're jumping the gun here okay the, I'm thing, sorry. That, the, the thing in this circumstance is that he was fucked on both ways no matter what he was fucked because he isn't the type of guy that's good in the in in that situation right but he also wasn't appropriately prepared because when he came back, I go, well, why did you want to do this? And why? And I gave him the less strenuous um, environment to answer it. And he still couldn't. And I said, come on, bro, you've been down three and a half. You got to, you didn't, you know what I mean? But regardless of, he, of whether he was ready or not, which he clearly wasn't, if he was completely ready, he still would have been in a position because of the setup and the type of uh, uh, interview these are and, and the way it's set up, he would have, it's not for a strong suit at all anyway. So they end with this. She says, and both, both me and you would jump on this and we dive on these opportunities. And I think most people do in that situation, but me and you in general. So at the very end, she goes, all right, like kind of like shrugs. She says like, all right, it's, listen, this is a three panel decision which is like a bad sign. She's saying, it's not just up to me. There's a three-panel decision. You'll, probably, you'll get your decision in six to eight weeks. Um, do you have anything else you'd like to add before we wrap this up? He says, he, she asks him. He looks off in the distance. Nah. I'm good. Wait. For 60 seconds. He says about 60 seconds. I was probably like 30 or 40. probably felt like 60 seconds. And, in, and, and turns back to her and goes, Nah. <laughs> 
in my mind, those 30 seconds was him playing out the things that he might say and then not being confident in any of them <laughs> and then just going. And now when he's telling me this, he just like, she can barely say it. He's like gripping his forehead now. And he's like, I said, no. And I got up and left. And I'm like, oh my fucking God. Well, you should, you got another year to. You have one minute remaining. Now, it's not guaranteed he's going to get a flop. We don't know that. It just doesn't look good. Now, now we get to the point that you're ta- that you're pointing out. How the fuck are you supposed to? Well, before that, before we talk about how ridiculous it is, the 15 minutes, all this other thing. When he's going in, there's a few things on paper that you should should be doing, and a few of them, the really ones that ha- you absolutely have to do, are recommendations of programming that the MDOC tells you you have to do and provides the opportunity for you to do. All right, I'm going to call right back and then we can get on that. All right, do. It. Paid call from Bobby. All right, so you already know a little bit about this because I've vented to you before about it, and just in just so we can share in our um, our easily triggered outrage about ridiculous. Oh no, this is completely pizza corn and lettuce. This is infuriating. Go ahead, you I, you've told me about oh. this before the Toro incident, but uh, this just reminds me of how stupid it is. So when you come to prison, they give you these guidelines, right? Because people are saying, you're not being rehabilitated. But they're like VPP, Violence Prevention Programming, right? So we'll just use that one as an example. There's a couple other ones. I think I have to take Phase 2 Substance Abuse. And then they add stuff as you, you go. Sometimes you'll get a new classification. Like, what, there's a new class they invented? And sometimes they'll get rid of old classes. Now, before you go on thinking that this is any rehabilitative class that's going to change anyone's mind, it's a workbook that's written for, like, I don't know, like a 7th or 8th grader. And it's um, literally got cartoon like drawings in it and stuff, and it's taught by someone who isn't qualified, who's never taught anything before in their life, and could care less. And if you're very, very, very lucky, shows up. And I'm not exaggerating; shows up half the time. You're lucky they show up half the time. And a bonus on top of all this nonsense is that you can't sign up for this class or any of these classes until you're within two years of your ERD. Why? Because they're so overcrowded. Earliest release date. The earliest release date. You're, you're, they're, they're so overcrowded and there's so few people to teach this, especially that will actually show up, that they're backed up. So you might be within two years, but they're so worried about the classes are full with people that are already past their ERD because their class wasn't available because the teacher left or are just about to see the board. You ideally want to be done with it a couple years before you see the board, two years, one year, a year and a half. Not with the MDLC, pizza, corn, and lettuce. So what ends up happening in Toro's case, and this is where Toro might not have been completely prepared, obviously, for this interview. But this is going to show you how it doesn't really you, – you can do your, the best you could ever do in there and still not get out because of the way the things are set up. So Toro gets in this, finally gets in this VTT class, and it's – I believe it's a – uh, an eight-week class, maybe a 12-week class. I haven't taken it. I'm not close enough to take it even. I don't have to take it. But it ends up always getting stretched out really like at least double the time because the teachers just – and this has been – never show up. And this has been happening since I was in level four. You guys remember my second monkey was named Scott, and he was going through this. I, I watched him go to wake up, get ready, go to sleep early at night, wake up, uh, uh, brush his teeth, get all ready go to class only to come back 30 minutes later, the teacher's not showing up, just consistently. And so 
Toro finally gets in his class a couple months before, so he's going to finish it just in time to see, uh, uh, with maybe like two months to spare before he sees the board. So he goes over there, goes to a couple classes. Um, one of the there's two teachers, two classes. Right? One of the teachers ends up quitting. His his is still going on. I guess they find a replacement teacher. His teacher showing up whenever, and then just stops showing up altogether. Right? Just doesn't show up. Has still to this day hasn't shown up. And so there's a bunch of guys that show up every, they get their call out at night, they get up early every morning, they get their, all their blues on, they brush their teeth, they drink their coffee, they go to breakfast, they go over to the, the school building, they hand the CO their, their pass, they walk down into the classroom, and they sit there for an hour until the CO comes in and goes, what are you guys doing? And they go, well, we're waiting for our teacher. And he goes, well, I guess she's not coming, or he's not coming. I think it was a he. I guess he's not coming. I guess. He's not coming. It's if there's no way to find out, right? You guys go back, and if he comes, we'll call you. This goes on three times a week for weeks and weeks and weeks. And eventually, they just stop giving him call-outs. And I hear these guys out here always talking to each other because they can't get any information from the counselor whose job it is to facilitate these things, to know about these things, and to answer these things. Now, the A-Russ, they're called. Every joint I've been to, the A-Russ, is the biggest flunky you've ever seen in your fucking life who does whatever he or she can do not to do their job. The only one that was decent was the one at the dog program, and she was just all right. So these guys are scrambling out here talking to each other. Did you hear anything? Did you see if he's going to – and they're just going off rumors, right? Yeah, right, prison rumor mill. That's always so accurate. Because in their defense, they have nothing else to go on. You know what I mean? And now this isn't just – some bullshit like you need a certificate these people in this class will not go home until they've completed this class that the MDOC says you have to take before you go home we will provide before you go home you can only take it two years before you go home but we won't provide anybody that'll show up and then when they don't show up we literally they just throw their hands up and tell these guys I don't know so the counselor keeps telling them well it'll be before you see the board meaning you'll start your class before you see the board, not finish it, right? So all these guys are over there like, what the fuck? So best-case scenario, if Toro or any of these guys, the ones who are in that class that do have a good interview and do get their parole, they get what's called an NFD if they don't get a flop. NFD means a non-fixed date, meaning you won't be going home on your ERD even though you did everything right you were supposed to do. You did everything. You remained ticket-free for the, for the 20 years you were in prison. You did a bunch of extracurricular things. You got your, uh, uh, you got your college degrees. You did volunteer work. You did, you did all this stuff, and you did your classes. You worked you in the kitchen. Going, you're doing everything you're supposed to. You will not go home when you were supposed to go home because we couldn't figure out the logistics of how to provide you with a class we demanded you take. And not only is this thing not some theoretical thing, Toro just walked past me. I'm looking at guys out here that... Even if they are, even if they did great, they will not get their parole. They're going to get a non-fixed date, meaning we don't know. We don't know when you're going home because we can't facilitate us who are responsible for your well-being, your health care, your food, your nutrition, your mental health, everything. We can't figure out how to implement a class that we've mandated you take before you go home. I can see why I'd be sick to my stomach too. Oh, just the idea of of a non fixed date may, would get me sick to my stomach immediately. And oh, and I know I'm cutting you off, but I have to get this. Oh. I have to spit this out. the The whole idea that a class full of inmates 
is more discipline than the teacher from the institution just baffles me. Like these guys show up three times a week, every morning and half the time, if you're lucky half the time, the teacher doesn't show up. <laughs> and if, listen, if they miss a day, they will be kicked out of the class. It doesn't even matter if they're, they miss a day because they had another call out and they didn't know or their call-out thing was messed up and it didn't show up on the call-out list, they are kicked out of the class if they miss a day. Or they get their call-out at 10.30 at night when they're already sleeping, they're and already then they, they have to be, they didn't know they had to be there at 6.30 in the morning? Yep. And, and these guys are all there because they know that, but the teacher doesn't. What are we teaching these guys? What does that say to the kids that are in there that are, that are 20, 21 years old and did three years in prison? What does that say about rules and hypocrisy and, and the rule? Because we do need rules in society. But when, when you're doing this by example, you can, can't blame anyone, a kid from leaving here and going, oh, rules don't matter. They're bullshit because they don't even follow their own rules. Yeah, fuck so the system is what it teaches them, that none of this makes sense. And then when you go up the chain of command and go, what about this? What about this? They all shrug their shoulders and go, I don't know. I know it's fucked up. And this will be the last I think about it or the last I say about it in their mind. You know, that's what they think. And then that's the end of it. And it's just this fiasco. And if we didn't have something like this with viewers who care and are actually paying attention, who the fuck out there knows that that's what's going on in here? You have to be here to know this. You know what I mean? You have to see this to know this. And, and, you can't blame anyone out there for assuming this isn't going on because why would it be going on? But it is. It's going on. And if you think that that's just one of the things you, you also haven't been paying attention, the whole thing is just fucked sideways. Now, Marshall ended up going, right? Did you coach him? Did you coach him? Did you spin laps? Yeah, well, we talked a little bit, but here's the thing. Marshall is better at Toro at talking and he's got a, you know, he's a, he's a decent looking kid too. I think subconsciously that really goes into a lot. Like they say, like uh, attractive people get callbacks for job interviews more often and stuff like that. And he's, yeah. he's got the confidence of someone who grew up attractive. You know what I mean? So yeah. he goes there, had caught a case, another case while he's in here. So I saw him on his A prefix. He went home. He came back on his B prefix. He caught a case in here, which is a C prefix. saw the parole board and went home. Toro, while he's sitting on the curb explaining to me, he goes, I wish, I wish Marshall was still here so I could beat up on him. Because, which he's like, he does, like, kind of like jokingly, like, on, but also like a big brother. It's like, oh no, he is like, kind of like punching him a little too hard or, or, or whatever. And um, it's because he just, especially in that moment, represents everything that he's not. You know, he got to go home and shit. And then Toro is much smarter than, than Marshall, much more introspective and stuff. And, uh, but Marshall grew up good looking, so has the confidence to be able to look him in the eye and stick his chest out and, you know, spit out something. Buy with baby blues and, and say, you know. What, 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 what happens but, but who to. Knows, but who knows what, though? That, like, we're, we might be making a false equivalency. We might make, be, sure. be making I mean, causation, false causation. He might have just went home because he fell into the group where they're like, well, we got to. We flopped too many people in the last ten. Let's send him home. Well, we'll know that's accurate if uh, if if Toro doesn't flop. If they send him home after that horrible uh, performance, 
then we'll know it's just a numbers game. That's what I said. That's what I told him. I said, one good thing is if you go home, we know it. nothing means anything. <laughs> like, nothing means And he's out here, hands in his pocket, spinning. You want to um, you want to give him a little fucking, uh, you want to get him on here and just... Uh, sure, I, I kind of wanted, I, I wanted to talk about uh, idiot neighbor Rio and how he got to go home, even though the dumb stuff he was getting into. And uh, I also wanted to ask... Uh, but yes, I do want to talk to Toro. But what? What it, if I got to go see the the board? I'm going to go see the pro board, and English wasn't my first language. Now what? What if I don't? I barely speak English. They have a translator, I believe. They bring a translator, in, and you just have to assume that they're telling you <laughs> what the fuck you're saying. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? yeah. And idiot neighbor Rio went over. I think what what you want, might have wanted to point out was that he went over there on a, like a domestic violence thing where you're not allowed to contact your victim at all. Like, that, that'll get you sent back to prison if you do. And he tells me, is this what you're talking about? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The day before he sees the board that he called her, and I said, why did you call her? He said, because you kept writing me on JPA, and I don't want to get in trouble. I said, so why did you call her? He said, to tell her to stop writing me on JPA. <laughs> I said, you called your victim on this case the day before you seen the parole board. In order to say don't contact, you contacted her on a super traceable form of connection to tell her not to contact you. He's like, yeah. All right. Good luck. He went home. He, he went home, yet he's contacting his, his victim of domestic abuse, and yet when Mama C, if we try to have Mama C on here, we get shut down. God, that pisses me off. Yeah, well, um, anything you want to wrap up, because uh, there's a hook standing around looking and stuff, so I can have him call back. What time is it right now? Uh, 10, 19. So, yeah, if you can't, if you can't hand it to uh, him, maybe you can just have him call me back real quick? No, nah, he's got it right here. Okay. Hello? Tora, what's up, buddy? Hey, what's going on, Jeremy? Hey, uh, we uh, heard, uh, you know, the rest of us are rooting for you, but we, we heard you're not feeling too good about your performance with the, um, with the probation meeting. Yeah. Yeah. With the, yeah. The pro board. Yeah, man. I, uh, I went in there. I felt like I was nervous the whole way, you know, like really since like really since last week, but so how could you not be? Once, yeah. I mean, I was, the way I compare it is like, it's, it's like a job interview, but like for your freedom, you know, for your life or. Uh, stuff like that, but right, yeah, yeah. I was I was definitely nervous. Um, I got in. I had to sit up there for five hours and watch everybody go ahead of me. Um, but yeah, dude, as soon as I got in, you have one minute remaining. Ignore that. Keep on going. Yeah. So um, I I got up there and she started asking me questions. And uh, from what I was I heard from other guys who had told me that she was asking questions about what they were going to do when they got out. She didn't ask me none of those questions, man. She asked me, she just grilled me on my case, you know, that uh, why I shot up somebody's house, why I was thinking what I was thinking, why, I, you know, just why, all these why questions. And I'm, I was telling her, like, I was trying to answer the best I could because, like, at the time, you know, I was going through kind of sort of like a, uh, kind of sort of like a breakup, you know, and I was just, I had, like, these, all these emotions. I didn't really, like, I, I should I was telling her, I should have seen somebody about, like, a therapist or a psychologist or something. And, Really, I just I just kept everything bottled up, you know, and I was really drunk. And she she asked me, she goes, "Well, how much did you drink?" 
And I'm like, a couple bottles of Jack Daniels. And then she's like, she kind of made a face like, wow, you know. <laughs> and uh, Right, and you're like, oh, that's probably not good. Yeah, yeah, and I'm like, oh, man. Thank you for using GTL. Hello, this is a prepaid call from... Yes, Toro. Bobby wanted me to say, uh, tell you about... Um, uh, oh, how I got to explain this to my parents, you know, while I went to the board. And uh, so I went after I went and seen them, I called my parents uh, later on, which was like in the evening, and I had to explain to them. And it's really hard to explain to your parents where it's like, cause I don't want to disappoint them, you know. I don't want to, like, they're, they're my main, they're my main, like, my main source of support, you know, and I don't want to. Of course. I had to tell my dad and my mom, like, hey, look, you know, they're like, how'd it go? And I'm like, they're excited about it, and I'm like, look, I don't know if it went good or if it went bad. I felt sick the whole time, and right away they started putting blame on the parole board lady, and I was telling, I said, well, you know, you can't blame her. It's, you know, it's not her fault. They're going to make a decision either way, but I, mean, I just, I just, it's, you know, I just don't want to disappoint him because I can't. I've had my dad tell me on the phone, you know, he's like, you know, he goes, hey, son, he goes, I can't take another year. This, I need you home. I need you, you know, doing work for us and shit like that, and you know, I don't want to disappoint my mom either because I'm, I, you know, I just. It breaks my heart, you know. I don't. I, yeah, it's your mom. She loves you. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm her only boy, and it just makes me feel like shit. I don't want to disappoint him in being here any longer than I have to be, you know. So, God, man, I can't even imagine. Yeah, you you go see the uh, parole board. It, it didn't go great, but it was set up for failure from the beginning because you never were able to take the class that they demand you take, but they don't give you a teacher to take it. And then you got to tell your parents. Oh yeah, I don't know if I really am going to get out in six or twelve weeks or you know two months like planned. And Bobby said that you might have like a floating, I don't know what he called it, a um, like a uh, like they're not going to tell you exactly when your date is. Like you're just yeah, uh, like they'll give me a, if they give me a deferral, that'll be. That means I have to finish the class, and then they'll and then they'll give me my date. There's also a thing called an NFD, a non-fixed date. That's what he was saying. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not really sure how that works out, but I know that if you go past your ERD or your earliest release date, they uh, uh, they'll give you what's called an NFD, and then they'll determine wh- whether you go home or not. They'll just give you a date whenever they feel like it. So <laughs> it's it's kind of it's really nerve wracking, man. Oh, I can't imagine. Uh, once it's once you're once you're locked up, once you're a part of that system, man, it's it just roll the dice. This could be shitty, or this could be I could be getting out, or this could. That's fucking ridiculous, man. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, um, yeah, dude, it's, it's just I, I got I got out of there, man. I told I told Bobby like I feel like shit, dude. I really I, I wanted to throw up. I got out of there. I've never felt that. I've never felt that nervous before. And I've been in some like situations where I've had some people's lives in my people's lives in my hands, and it just. And I, I just, this time, I just, I don't know, I, I felt like, I felt like straight garbage, man. And I got out of there and I was like panicking. <laughs> uh, I, I, don't, I wanted like my stomach, I had a pit in my stomach, man. And, and I'm sure there's people uh, listening, some of our viewers, that know exactly what you're talking about. When, some, when you get the rug pulled out from underneath you and you get kicked in the nuts so hard, figuratively, by, by something in life, uh, that it, it, you do have physical pain in your stomach or uh, an automatic headache or or, or takes your breath away because it's so, yeah. you know, uh, psychologically damaging. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're saying I got out and I'm like, oh man, I, I, I got out and everybody's asking me how to go, how to go. They're all excited and I'm like, yeah, I think they could see on my face and they're like, like that I was like, kind of like distressed and they're like, well, what happened? I'm like, 
man, I don't know if it went good. It, I, I felt like personally it went bad just because of the questions he was asking me and the way I answered them. And I mean, I mean, I'm not, it's not that I'm not good under pressure. I'm just not good at explaining. I'm not good at talking, you know what I mean? I'm not like, like, explaining my way out of a situation. I can't do that very well. You know, I'm so I just, I don't know. Man. Toro, come on. Me and the viewers all know you're not the greatest orator. My <laughs> <laughs> actions are better, you know. I, it's, I'm not, I talk with, like, my work, and that's about it. <laughs> yeah, well, we're all rooting for you. Um, so uh, I'm sure Bobby will keep us uh, updated, and uh, you keep us updated as well. And, uh, yeah, man, we're all rooting for you. Uh, it's out of your hands now, so there's, there's, I don't know that there's any reason for you to be stressed out. I mean, I know there's reasons to be stressed out, but you know, try to just only control what you, you can control. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yesterday, I woke up and I was a little nervous, and I was like, I thought to myself, my man, there's no, you know, there's no reason to worry because it's, it's out of my control. So. And okay, Bobby, I guess we're back. We got cut off with, um, with Toro there because they shut down Yard. But uh, I think we were wrapping it up with Toro anyway, and um, that does suck to when you when you incorporate the old the the parental aspect. You know, I know he doesn't want to disappoint his parents, but he he knows he might have just fumbled. Yeah, he doesn't want to disappoint his his own parents, but he really has no choice. It's kind of who he is. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's what I you know because I was like really bothering him because afterwards we had already started joking about it and like. You know, that's some of that gallows humor shit. Like, there's nothing else to do but laugh about how stupid you are, how stupid this place is, or whatever. Laugh at your misery. Yeah, and if, how, is his, how is his parents not used to this by now, anyway? I mean, I'm just saying. I blame them. Yeah, I'm blame them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I blame them. But uh, that's where he was like, you know, I know he was super worried about that, but he was able to joke about the other thing. And I guess we joked because, you know, he stands in line like, I don't know what I'm going to tell my people. You know, I don't, I don't want to lie to him, but I also want to give him false hope. And who knows? There's no need to make him worry. You know what I mean? And then you start. I thought it'd be good for the viewers to hear, like, oh shit, this like affects, you know, more people than just him. And 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 when thinking of that, you know, sometimes we it's fortuitous when we get cut off like that because I have a second dur- or an hour during count time and chow to kind of think about like what was going on. And you know, we we point out a lot. We used an example of Toro, someone who shit the bed, which is completely on brand during a parole hearing. But I don't want the viewer to be mistaken. I shine in moments like that. And even when I'm in there, when I'm going to be in there, or if I was in there, it it still wouldn't be fair. It's still not right. How the viewers know, these are 15-minute phone calls. That's how one of these phone calls, and you know how fast these go, go by unless Toro's doing a segment and it feels like an hour. Which probably probably the whole board lady was looking at her watching. How long is this going to go? It's been ten minutes. Right, wrap it up. But, wrap it up. <laughs> let's go. Let's go. Do the wrap time. Um, but yeah, but fifteen minutes, and it's not even the parole board member's fault. Fifteen minutes to decide if this person is safe to return to society. How how could they be expected to do that with someone they've never met before? Could you imagine you have that's your job? You sit there and you have to see ten people. Yeah, is this guy going to go back to beating his wife, or is this guy going to go back to uh, whatever he was doing on the outside that generally is bad stuff, or did he get rehabilitated through no help of us, the institution, just on his own free will? He did he rehabilitate rehabilitate himself in here? 
Uh, that's uh, none of that makes sense to me. And it's like a gym, they have one of those gym coach stopwatches around their neck, and they go ready, go, and they click it, and then you got a video screen, and you have 15 minutes to ask them questions, and um, your job kind of deter- is determined by, you know, I mean, how long before you throw your hands up and go, I don't fucking know, you know what I mean? Like I don't know, like what? If, how long before you just decide to use some weird parameter or like what you're feeling that day, or you don't like the way this guy looks, or you decided that today, like you're sick of. Um, you know, drug dealers or drug users or whatever it is. So you've got no time for mental health or, and, and pretty soon it becomes arbitrary. And I, and it's not, obviously not our fault that the process isn't long enough and it's not the parole board's fault. It's the system's fault, right? Why wouldn't we, see, it's easy to point out problems with something, right? The solution would be, and if, if anyone wants to go to the, the website, the Notion Pen website, and read any more, some more in-depth stuff about the problems and, and actual solutions of prison ref- reform. Uh, I have a piece on there called uh, "The Reformation of American Incarceration," and it goes through a whole. Some of it can, can even get a little technical because I'm actually towards the end go down like the breakdown of what you do. But just loosely, why wouldn't you meet with the parole your parole board member? Why wouldn't they be assigned to certain people, right? And why wouldn't you see them? at least twice a year when you first come down, just so they get some sort of rapport with you and history with you. I mean, it's a bare minimum. They, you just meet with them twice a year for a half an hour each time, and you get to talk to them, and then they can take little notes in your file, right? And as you get closer, you see them more times. The, when you're two years out, you see them four times. The last year, you see them a couple times leading up to the thing, and that's just with the one parole board member. And then when you see the parole board, that's one interviewing you, interviewing you but there's, the members are there. So they can have some sort of history with you, some sort of understanding of who you are, so you can actually give them the opportunity to do the job you're asking them to do, which is to determine if these people are safe to come back, if they've been rehabilitated or if they're still a threat and danger, right? And so that would just make too much sense, right? Yeah, I can't get over the 15 minutes. Uh, they don't know anything about you except for what they're reading from your your. Basically, I mean, what, what what do they have in front of them? They have your PSI, so what you got in trouble for, yep. and then they have any information if you got LOP tickets while in there. That's it. Within the last five years, yeah. And whether or not you you took the classes you you were supposed to take. What do you what in fifteen minutes? What if I'm a, a sociopath and I'm a super slick tongue? You know, uh, lying to me doesn't it, like it comes natural. I bet, uh, you know what I mean? I bet you those guys, they pass with flying colors, then they get right back out. So many of, there's so many people that do that, right? And and this is where it comes into, like, the viewers, and I think this is stuff they need to know because this stuff I didn't know prior. Because these things are, are being done in your name by officials you elect or don't vote for at all, but they're elected officials who are both tasked with responsibility, but also proclaiming that they will keep society safe, right? And then they do this to get elected and then really either wash their hands or more likely never even had the intention of actually keeping society safe, or they're just so incompetent that they don't understand what's going on in here. Because the reason that the parole board members can't meet with us multiple times is because you have two options if you have finite resources, which every country and every state has finite resources. You either go with mass incarceration and lock a ton of people up, and you just have to let them out as you have to let them out, or you have to keep them in there forever, or 
The other option is you only lock up the people you need to lock up. That way there's enough resources to actually evaluate and rehabilitate them. No one looking at it should agree that it should just be like, like practically arbitrarily locking up everyone. Just better safe than sorry. Lock up everyone. Which sounds good on like a tough on crime thing, like better safe than sorry. But better safe than sorry means that none of those people, none of those people get the attention they need. And not only that, they're stretched so thin that you can't even tell who the people who are deemed worthy of release are anymore because you don't have the time, because you don't have the manpower, and you don't have the resources. So the parole board members can't see us because our country and this state in particular still, but our country as a whole went with mass incarceration as the cure-all. But the intention of mass incarceration of like, let's just hedge all bets and lock everyone up, does the exact opposite. It makes sure that when the time comes, they're bursting at the seams. They're like, shit, we just got to let people go. Well, who do we let go? I don't know. We don't have fucking time to figure it out. Just go through and basically randomly pick them. Well, we should do some... All right, 15 minutes. You got 15 minutes to decide. What? What the fuck? How is that? So being out there in the world, when, when people, when there's high recidivism rates, people, uh, politicians use that to go, see, we need to lock more people up. Think about it a little bit. That's not it. You need to lock less people up in general and more of the right people up. And in order to lock the right people up and, and be able to keep them in here or determine that they need to be in here or if they've been rehabilitated, you can't lock everybody up. You, you, you tie your hands when you do that. And it just takes a little bit of thought if you just think about it, then you go, oh, shit, yeah, makes sense. Because I didn't really realize that at first. I never really thought about it. So that's one of the things we're doing, and, and it just I see it play out in front of me all the time. You know what I mean? Who goes home and who doesn't go home? Who could be out there and who who, who should definitely be in here? I told you the guy who zipped the, the um, raped and, and strangled the chick and threw her in a duffel bag, dropped her off in an alley, only to have her still be alive, eventually gain consciousness and unzip her back out. He just went home. Oh, he's out? Yeah, he's oh, out now. Oh, great, great, great. Coming to a neighborhood near you. Because 15 minutes isn't long enough. And because they're stretched so thin that they're like, well, shit, we got to be letting people. Instead of because you choose mass incarceration, that guy gets to get out because they can't hold him in here. That's the dude you won't. You, you won't go ahead. That's, that's because there's new guys coming in here for bullshit, and you want to keep put, bringing new guys in here for bullshit. You have to let those guys go if you're going with mass incarceration arbitrarily, which is what's happening. So that guy's back on the streets. And, 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 and with the same politicians who are telling you, let's lock everyone up, that's not the solution. The solution is intelligent decision decisions about who you lock up and for how long, and then have signposts along the way to determine. You know what I mean? That guy's back out there. That guy's back out there after raping dudes in the joint, right? Isn't he the dude that uh, you won't get near in the shower or won't even go in there? And, like, younger dudes beware? Like, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and I've actually seen a lot of guys uh, go home that are, like, super creepy when there's women around. Where you're like, oh, if he's ever, if this guy's ever at a party... And there's like someone puts like their drunk friend, a chick, in, in, in the room to sleep, the coat room to sleep it off. He'll sneak in there and rape her. Like there's dudes like that that they're letting out because they're decent at talking, right? And their history would say that, you know, 
that uh, that they're dangerous, but they haven't caught a bunch of tickets in here. But they're also not seeing a therapist or a counselor or anything that would give you any insight into who this person really is. But I guess who knows? I know because I watch and I live with these guys and I see them and I go, I would not trust that guy in my neighborhood or around my sister or daughter or any of that shit. Guess what? The one I'm specifically thinking of, he, he's gone too. They're, they all, you know what I mean? So... You know, wash your hands of this whole prison situation and mass incarceration at your own at your own risk, man. Because that guy's not raping those guys. Uh, those guys don't only rape people from their neighborhoods or murder people from their own neighborhoods or or people right in their vicinity. And even if they do, you'd be around those guys and not really know, and not even know it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whoever whoever was responsible for writing uh, the the laws and the bills that 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 made mass incarceration the, you know, the way we were going to go in America that I could, that guy, I hope he never becomes president. You have one minute remaining. Yeah. This is your like dig at Biden. Yeah. Subtle, subtle shot, subtle shot. And in order to be better educated, I had my mom send in all his uh, political reform policy. I mean, a uh, prison reform and criminal justice reform policies. And, uh, uh, you know, we'll see a lot of them make way too much sense to, uh, well, hopefully, hopefully they uh, they they come through. Uh, when you get, I I feel like uh, we got to get to listener questions. We're starting to run a little bit long. I don't want to not mention that uh, that last night we had a federal execution. Um, that's I don't know much about it. Maybe we can do a whole uh, uh, show at a later date on um, the death penalty, but yep. it seems seems pretty screwy. Yeah, that's we should do that. I don't know why I haven't thought of that. I got as you wouldn't surprise you, I have some theories on that. <laughs> All right, I'll get you right back. We'll finish this up. Okay, cool. Hey. And we're back. So uh, yeah, we'll we'll table that for a later episode. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure we both have a, a bunch of different ideas, and I'd need to do some more research on uh, the dude last night. The things I've been seeing though is like five of the jurors. Are, are we're like begging for you know hey he shouldn't be you know we we, we want to take back what we said and uh, there's a bunch of screwy stuff and it's a federal execution so uh, Biden's not in charge yet so I you know I'd have to and, put that and this is like a this is a good example of people writing off like they're both fucked up it's all the same well no people die though you know what I mean like he's trying to rush through all these executions those are real people that are dying and that have real families. And it wouldn't have happened if 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 he wasn't in there. Now that's not to say that there's not other consequences if he wasn't, but that's real shit. Right, like the Iranian children that are going to get bombed here in a couple of years. I don't know that for sure, so I'm not going to say that's true. Let's get to uh, listener questions before I get all political and everybody wants to turn the thing. Well, yeah, let off. me get off my soapbox real quick. Okay. All right, I'm down. <laughs> um, so we got a question from. Uh, a uh, person that's asked some questions before it's a uh, talker Dempsey and he wants to know, um, I guess he knows a little bit about uh federal uh, prisons. And he says in federal prisons, it's easy. Nicknames are kind of easy to come by because everybody's from a different place. So like, you know, some dude might be called Georgia. Some dude would be called Virginia. You know, some dudes called Alabama. You know, it, I, I imagine yeah. cities also go around or state mottos or I, I don't know, but, you know, it's more geographical. But uh, as far as nicknames, like how do you get your nickname in the joint? Are you allowed to give yourself a nickname? No, you remember uh, 
Uh, for, first of all, thanks for the question. I think it's, isn't it Toker, Dempsey? I think it's Toker. Is it Toker? Uh, I said it was Toker because his dad worked uh, on clocks or something. I, I, it's okay. vague in my memory. Toker Dempsey knows about federal prison. I believe he was in one, which he'll take the opportunity to remind you of every chance he gets, which is fine. I love it. I'm sure I'll be that guy when I get out. You know, I did time in prison. They're like, oh, Jesus Christ, you don't say, oh, this again? <laughs> you know what I mean? All right, well, no. <laughs> pick your kid up from preschool. All right, all right let's go. <laughs> Speaking of, uh, no. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, from my understanding, I know I know a lot of guys who've done fed time and, and maximum security, guys who, when they were done, came here to do life sentences, multiple life sentences. And uh, at least, and I believe if Tucker was, he was in a lower security federal penitentiary, which is like real, those, from my understanding, are, are really nice. A lot of programming, a lot of schooling, a lot of opportunities, tons of stuff. Um, more money, obviously. Um, but at the higher levels, the federal um, penitentiaries, because there's people from states all over, they call their cliques, they still have gangs and shit, but they call their cliques cars, right? So I could, I don't know if I went, I would either be in the, I could probably either be in the Michigan car or the Florida car. Um, when I came here, I'm from Detroit originally, but I came from Florida. I spent most of my time in Florida. People tried to call me Florida. You know what I mean? Like when I would say where I was from later, they'd be like, hey, Florida. And I'm, that shit's dead. There's too many uh, Bogue Floridas. And I don't know if we went over um, our prison vocabulary. Bogue is um, means you're a persona non grata. It means you've either locked up, you're a rat, um, you've done you've CSC or any of that stuff. I sh- Etymology-wise, I believe it's short for bogus. That's all, what I could imagine. So um, a lot of Floridas are bogue, and there's tons of Florida. So I don't ever want my name mixed up with that. So I'm like, that's I can't it. imagine Florida guy in prison. Like, Florida guy's bad enough, and I, I'm one of them, but Florida guy in prison, that's probably, he's probably a bit much. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Florida man. Yeah, yeah, there's a bunch of Florida men here, and they're and they're what you'd expect. You know what I mean? And uh, not really many scruples, a lot of dope fiends. So I'm like, that's not those names follow follow you around. And uh, you know, it just it comes about the way nicknames come in the world. You know, someone calls you and it sticks. And um, you, I don't know if you, I know you remember this. Our buddy Turbo wanted to change his name. Because there's another turbo in Tin Block. When Turbo's not here anymore, he's up on the hill. He was in Nine Block. Um, because that turbo's Vogue. I guess he locked up or something. So he goes around on a campaign to get everyone to start calling him Straight Jacket. Right? He stitched it into the back of his hat, which must be probably got high. Definitely got high. And then stitched Straight Jacket in white thread onto the back of his hat as promotional aid to really try to get it to catch on. Now, unfortunately for him, I was one of the first person people he said this to, and I said, you don't get to pick out your own fucking nickname. And he's like, what? I can't keep going by tur- Turbo. It's Straight Jacket. And I'm like, the fuck it is. It's definitely not Straight Jacket. I don't know what it is. I was like, why did they call you Turbo? And he's like, well, because he zips around a bunch. He's like running around doing things, taking care of shit. He's the middleman. If you ever need anything, holler at him. He'll make it happen. All right, he grabs. He once was like figuring out how to grab TVs that were people were selling up on the hill. Like, on some. He takes care of business. Now... I'm like, well, you're Zippy then. Your new nickname's Zippy. And he's so mad. He's like, I, that's not my name. I'm Straight Jacket. And he won't hear any, of, hear any of it. So I go around and hear him, like, randomly as I'm going through my day, like, trying to cajole the people <laughs> calling him Straight Jacket. 
of which I immediately step on and go, hey, Zippy, stop doing that. <laughs> and it catches on, and then everyone's calling him Zippy. And he's, like, literally like, throwing his hat down, like, stomping on it mad about it. And <laughs> nickname Zippy. So uh, you don't get to pick your own nickname out. And certainly if it's not going to be... Certainly, if it's going to be something like Straight Jacket. First of all, that's longer than your actual name, so it's not a nickname. Second of all, you're not crazy. You're an idiot. That's, you're not like some... No. And I, I think when he said it, I go, all right, well, then you start calling me Big Dick McGee. How about that? That's my new nickname, if we're just picking them out. Fucking dummy. So, yeah, so that's the nickname one. They come about naturally, and they're not always what you want. Okay. All right, so... uh it, it still comes about naturally. It's just probably in federal, it's easier to give somebody a nickname because they're, everybody's from, you know, far away land. So it just comes natural, like, uh, you know, uh, going against the least amount of resistance. Oh, it's easy. Let's call him Ohio. Yeah. yeah there's a lot of that in here where people from other states are just called that's the state they're from. Okay. And then this questions might take a little bit uh, longer. It, it's a series of questions, but they kind of, um, go together this is from less of everything and uh we uh we dig less because he uh he put us on to uh one of our favorite uh viewers uh he showed her the uh the program and uh i think that's oh, that. ab yeah 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 yep yep hey what's up bro uh so uh what does it look like to educate yourself while you're inside whether it's to be uh, a contributing member of society or defending against the ju justice system or whatever. And, uh, and he also wants to know what kind of books are banned, but we can get to that in a minute. So what's it look like to educate while you're on the inside? Well, let's do it the other way around. The kind of books that are banned in here are like um, manipulation ones, um, strategic ones, like the art of war by Sun Tzu, uh, the book of five rings by Miyamoto Musashi, um, it seems like they're just Asian books that they're outlawing. But there's uh, books like that, The 48 Laws of Power, stuff that would help you manipulate. Machiavellian type stuff? Yep, Ma uh, The Prince is uh, outlawed. You know how to get Machiavelli the Prince. Here. And, uh, but then there's also books that are just ridiculous, like you can't get any books on computers. Why? Oh, because you can use computers to do illegal stuff. Okay, well, how are we supposed to educate ourselves? Um you know, about technology when you won't even let us get books on computers. Um, there's a machinist shop here that they teach cl they teach classes for machining. I don't know if there's not a shop, but, you know, Toro's a, a, a grease monkey. He's a wrencher. And uh, his people sent him a book on, like, machining stuff, and uh, they rejected it. Why? Because you can, uh, look, you can teach you how you, you can make weapons with some of that stuff. And he's like, hey. There's a class that teaches machining in here. They give you a book and a class. What do you guys? So it's pizza corn lettuce with that stuff, and it's. Awesome. What about Mein Kampf? Oh, I got that. I got two of those paperback hardback. <laughs> so no, that's not allowed either. Yeah, that's definitely not allowed. His mutt? Hey, never mind. <laughs> yeah, so those are. And what does it look like to educate yourself in here? I don't know. It's a good question. I'll see if I ever if I ever do it. I'll let you know. You know. There's a lot of law library stuff that helps out, which I'm not really good at. I, I saw from early on that, that legalese, the legal uh, realm is a language of its own, and it takes full commitment to get to know that. That's not me. I take shortcuts, and I just talk about the broader picture and let people like Blaze deal in the, the legal stuff. Educating yourself in here 
I don't know. This is like a really deep question because I don't know. I've been experimenting with Marshall, the first child, my first donkey, who's Kelly Bundy of Parnell. Who's now out. Can actually, who's now out, who I love. Oh, you'll be probably listening to this. What up, little uh, short-legged bitch? Yeah, so I don't know. Even though I did really turn around and prove to like use some critical thinking skills towards the end, that uh, educating yourself, I don't know, man. That's, that's hard. Reading reading a lot, speaking to people. You, you can find people in here that are actually, they're few and far between. There's a lot of imposters who like, you know, one of the things I said is before coming to prison, I thought there was nothing worse than an idiot. And then prison showed me, oh, no, no, there is something worse than an idiot. It's an idiot who doesn't know he's an idiot and can't wait to tell you about how smart he is. Because <laughs> there's, there's, there's a certain groups of people in here who probably for the first time in a lot of people's lives kind of um, glorify or put knowledge on a pedestal. And so once you realize that that's, a, that's a, like an aspect of peer pressure within certain groups, you have dummies like trying to be profound and deep. And uh, it's so painful to watch. And so I bet you hate it. All hate it. Yeah, that's generous. Well, <laughs> ridiculous. And, when we get when when he, when he speaks of uh, how do you uh, get yourself educated on becoming a contributing member of society, I don't think the institution is helping it at all. But uh, after talking to uh, your homeboy Neck, which uh, the listeners will meet at some point, he's up at Ken Ross with Joey. Um, Neck seems like he's done. A, you know, when I talk to him, he he seems like he could be a contributing member of society right now. Yeah, it could have been a long time ago. But here's the thing: that's it's a com it's a com it's a combination of things. You have to have that like already in you, like that that seed, right? And then along the way, you'll meet people who you can talk to. Those are that's like the level me and Nick would meet on a lot. That and humor, like we make fun of each other. I've got a great sense of humor. But then we'd also talk about deeper stuff that I couldn't really talk with with Gr Joe about about like the meaning of love and and forgiveness or you know like shit that you're gonna want to throw up hearing. But it's it comes from a real genuine natural place and realization in here. And in those moments, you guys cultivate that in each other and like bounce ideas off of each other and kind of inspire each other. And so it's it's two factors. It's like the synchronicity of who you're around and wh when you're around them and your willingness to uh, think deeper and want more out of yourself. And, you know, you got to be kind of an inquisitive person who is able to look at themselves. And I, without that, I don't know if it's even possible. I still haven't figured that out yet. That's one of the big questions of life I'm trying to figure out. If you can pass that on to somebody without the hardware, that, without them already having the hardware. You know what I mean? Yeah, that, and that's an existential question that I don't know that we'll ever get to the bottom of. You'd like to think that you'd be able to educate everybody, but you've made it clear a few times that, uh, hey, some of these guys are should never get let out. Some of these guys are never going to be uh, okay for society. But you know, that doesn't matter when they're throwing a dart at a bunch of numbers and they're like, okay, you made parole and you didn't. <laughs> don't kill anyone. Right. All right, I won't. Right. Stay away from duffel bags. What's a what's Ashley Bell, who we love, great listener, viewer. What's what's her brother's name? Les. Les, yeah. Thanks, Les, and uh, thanks for uh, you know Les. Without any um, prompting or anything, listened and was like, "Man, my sister would like this." And on his own, 
went ahead and was like, hey, check this out. And she just... You have one minute remaining. Became a solid viewer. And that's like what this whole thing relies on. We don't have big promotional money and marketing or any of that. This is all word of mouth by the viewers, by you guys. You know, take a page from less. And if you find someone or can think of anybody or a hundred of them that might like this, you know, give us a shout. Hold, hold on. I, I got more to... to uh, uh... He doesn't do social media, doesn't give a shit about social media, doesn't, he's not on Facebook or nothing like that, but completely created a Twitter account just so he could, you know, be part of the crew. I'm like, I tipped tip the cap. Yeah, we're going to get cut off here. So, uh, so I'm wrapping us up. Uh, on behalf of everybody involved, because we got to go, we gone. We gone. To learn more about Bobby and prison reform, go to notesfromthepen.com. This has been another Notes from the Pen production.